morning everybody yeah it's um thank you for that prayer Emma it's it's been it has been a really um it's been a really fun adventure so far but yeah um bit of sleep deprivation it's really physical um you know it's you wrestle these little clothes onto him and you you take off the dirty nappy and you kind of get his feet in one hand while you clean with the other and then you get your nicely folded nappy and you're like pin down a leg and you try and wrap it around nice and tight. Um, so it's a very physical thing. Meanwhile, he's just realizing that he's um, got these arms and legs and he is um, really swinging and kicking with glee now. And um, there's lots of flailing. Um, and then you're holding him and you're, um, you're jiggling him and you're walking up and down through the apartment in the dark through the night and you're, holding his head to keep it from thrashing about. And um, and if you're lucky, then you get him in the bassinet with his eyes closed. And his, um, his little hand has this vice-like grip on your thumb. And, um, and you say, let me go for day is breaking. <laughs> Which um, brings me to the story of Jacob, the God wrestler. Uh, so Jacob story from Genesis. He was wrestling um, since he was in the womb, struggling with his twin brother Esau. And then um, his brother Esau, he gets out first as the story goes, but he's closely pursued by Jacob, who's holding on to his brother's foot. I'm sure that you are all pretty familiar with this great story from, it's one of the Jewish um, origin myths. And um, yeah, Jacob is one of the figures in this people in prayer series that we're um, we're going through at the moment. I'll see if I can just share my screen with you. People in prayer. Thank you, Simon, for this design. Yeah, Jacob. Um, he's the son of Isaac, and uh, he's the son of Rebekah. And before um, Jacob and Esau were born, God speaks to Rebekah. Um, telling the boy, the boy's mother that the elder shall serve the younger. So it's a fascinating story, and there's a lot in there that I'm skimming over this morning. Um, so please go and read it yourself. It's um, from Genesis 25 onwards. Uh, so Jacob has this promise of a blessing from God, and it's a promise that um, he will have the blessing of the firstborn. Let me just find my notes. But as we see, Jacob will um, always fight for what he wants. Even though he's had this promise from God, he's, he, he won't wait. So with his mother's help, he forces his way to get his father's blessing, and he pretends to be Esau, and he deceives Isaac. Um, so he, he would have known about God's promise to his mother, but he doesn't seem to trust God. And the story goes on, and um, Esau wants to kill Jacob, so he get, so Jacob gets um, sent away for his own safety. Um, and in this great book, drawing, uh, daring to draw near people in prayer, um, John White says, tragically, Jacob has missed in the struggle the peace and the fellowship with God he might otherwise have enjoyed. God wanted him to have the inheritance. 
plus peace and fellowship with himself. But instead, uh, Jacob had 21 years of anxiety. So you, you probably all know the story pretty well. We see this pattern in the story of Jacob that he's always struggling to win what he could have had freely. And only if he'd waited. It looks like um, Jacob's prayer life with God is not that good. But it's easy for me to say, it's easy for us to say, we sit in this long and rich tradition of faith. And Jacob is, however, he is at the, um, he's at the beginning of the Jewish people's journey with God way back in Genesis. Uh, So in terms of prayer, he doesn't have as many reference points as we do. And really he, he represents the journey of faith and doubt and trust in God that uh, we all go on in some way. And so that's what this is all about today. Jacob's on the run from his brother and he's heading for his uncle's place. And he sleeps one night and he has this vision out in the wilderness. He's asleep and he has a vision of a ladder into the sky with angels going up and down on it. A stairway to heaven. And God stands beside him and he's promising that all the land around him will belong to his descendants and all the world will be blessed uh, by his people. And God promises Jacob his presence and his protection. So Jacob wakes up pretty terrified, as you'd understand, and, and mind blown. But he makes this vow to God. He says, if God brings him home if God brings Jacob home safely, then God would become Jacob's God. And Jacob would devote a tenth of his wealth to God. So it's interesting what's missing in that prayer. It's a real, um, it's a wait and see sort of prayer. It's a bargaining prayer. If, if you bring me home safely, God, then I'll do this. It's a bargaining prayer. There's not much trust in there. And we've probably all made these uh, prayers to God like this at some point growing up. And, and maybe I think subliminally, we uh, unconsciously, we still have those thoughts in our prayers. And that's even though we, compared to Jacob, have a much bigger glimpse of God through the Gospels than, um, than what Jacob did in his world. John White, who wrote uh, this People in Prayer book, he says, In the glowing aftermath of an answered prayer, I'm full of praise, and I find it relatively easy to count on God. But as the time passes, the curtain of unreality begins to intervene. My praises begin to sound hollow and my declaration of trust in God's power a little forced. And I think we can all relate to that. We all know how it feels to to drift, I guess. So Jacob's story continues and he gets to Laban's home and he's he's tricked by Laban into marrying Leah, the older daughter. And uh, it's funny because it's a similar way to how Jacob uh, tricks his father for the blessing. And after marrying Leah, Jacob strikes another deal with Laban to uh, also marry Rachel, the uh, younger and more desirable one. And he works like a slave for years for Laban. And if you really think about it, he must have been haunted by greed and competitiveness and fear all that time. Um, but he didn't want to take that risk to to trust God and let God um, make it happen. He wanted to do it off his own efforts. And eventually after 
those years, Jacob manages to sneak away from Laban with his family and all the stuff that he has won, and he's heading home. But he finds out that he hears that Esau, his brother, is heading his way with a, a bit of an army. So uh, he sends out this charm offensive. He sends out his servants and children with gifts to, to, um, to charm Esau. And um, so that night, out in the wilderness again, Jacob is alone. And God turns up. And it's interesting to notice that God confronts Jacob once he's been stripped of all the products of his selfish ambition. He's, he confronts Jacob once he's alone. He's away from his family and all his belongings. And now some say in this scene, which has inspired a lot of, um, a lot of poets and a lot of paintings and a lot of art through the years, a lot of um, thoughts, some say in this wrestling scene that it's uh, an angel or the angel of the Lord or some kind of pre-incarnate figure of Christ who confronts Jacob. But what's clear is that uh, God wants to, to deal with Jacob. So, um, so God wrestles him. <laughs> he doesn't hit Jacob. If, if someone hits you, you can hit back or you can run away. But when you wrestle, you're in each other's grip and you, you have to fight if you want to get away, right? So God is holding on to Jacob and God knows what is best for him. And God wants Jacob to finally, after all these years, he wants Jacob to finally understand that. It's a bit like consoling a crying baby. God wanted to be close to Jacob and Maybe this was the only way. You get pretty close when you wrestle. And in this fight, uh, it's important to remember that God has extremely humbled God's self to let this be a, a fair struggle. It's the power of the universe weakening itself so much just to get Jacob in a headlock. Yeah, it made when I was reading it, it reminded me of, it made me think about um, that scene from Isaiah six with the Lord on His throne and the angels beside Him. God's power is is terrifying, but God lets this be a pretty fair wrestling match until He um, until He He touches Jacob's hip and He dislocates it. Now, with a dislocated hip, Jacob must have been in agony. He would have been clinging on to his uh, clinging on to his opponent and trying to balance on one leg, and he's realised there's um, there's something supernatural going on in this fight, and the god man angel person says, "Let me go, for day is breaking," and Jacob replies, "I will not let you go unless you bless me," and there it is, Jacob's finally praying out of utter helplessness. He's finally calling on God for his blessing. Until now, Jacob's life had been this descent of selfish ambition, getting it all off his own striving. Uh, but from this moment of wounding, it's, uh, he is what um, Father Richard Raw would call falling upward. 
and Jacob's name, which had meant supplanter, becomes Israel, which means God strove or God wrestler. And I think sometimes this needs to be our prayer. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, it's important to say, to be clear here, that uh, we're not bargaining with God, but we're, we're, uh, we're being open about our woundedness. And this is our cry of need. You know, despite my doubts, despite my fears, I will not let you go, Lord. And I seek your blessing. And I think God wants to wrestle with us. I think he wants to be close. Um, He doesn't want a kind of religious politeness where we do our thing through the week and we do our bit on Sunday. And he doesn't want want brainless followers either who might abandon their faith at the first sign of a challenge to their beliefs. He wants us to wrestle. And there's a fantastic little book um, called Opening the Bible by Thomas Merton. And the monk Thomas Merton, he says, there is in a word nothing comfortable about the Bible until we manage to get so used to it that we make it comfortable for ourselves. But then we're perhaps too used to it and too at home in it. Let us not be too sure we know the Bible just because we have learned not to be astonished at it. Just because we have learned not to have problems with it. Have we perhaps learned at the same time not to really pay attention to it? Have we ceased to question the book and be questioned by it? Have we ceased to fight it? Then perhaps our reading is no longer serious. So I highly recommend that book by Thomas Merton. And also one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement, John Wimber, he's, I've got a great little book here by him called Everyone Gets to Play. And he says, testing of leaders, you would have heard this, he talks about leaders with a limp. Testing of leaders is one of the most vital tests of their preparation. A remarkable quality comes from the lives of leaders after they have wrestled with God and with life. And the resulting limp is a reminder to themselves and a sign to others that God has humbled them. Now, he's talking about leaders there, but I think as as the people in the body of Christ, us in the world, we're all leaders. So um, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's really important that... um, we have wrestled with God and with life and that we have that resulting limp that we've been humbled by God. So it's a bit of a short and sweet message today. That's my, the bit, the question I, I want to um, ask is what part of your life, what, what part of our life or what part of our heart, uh, what part of our mind is God wanting to, to wrestle into submission for you at the moment? What part of you is God wanting to uh, bless with his presence?
I have one final thought. Babies, I've been reading a lot about babies. <laughs> and I've found out that they, they cry for many reasons. But there's uh, been some, a lot of research that shows that it's found that for about a third of the time that babies cry, there's no clear reason. But when you, when you pick the baby up and when you wrestle it into a cuddle, uh, eventually it finds peace. And I, I don't think we've lost that as adults. Uh, I think our spirits, they still cry to be held. And uh, they still cry to find peace. And uh, they still want to be wrestled into God's presence. So that's all I have to say about that. Let's take communion with uh, those thoughts in mind. Let me pray and um, we'll take communion together now. We'll take our bread and water together and I'll um, hand over to Lloyd and Victoria. These are the lines from uh, an old song we used to sing in the church I grew up in. One bread, one body, one Lord of all. One cup of blessing which we blessed. And we, though many, throughout the world, we are one body in your church, God. Amen.